Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. The following podcast contains strong language, like what the actual fuck. Hello, this is Curtin, and you're listening to What the Actual Fuck. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow? This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck. Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to WTAF of this country podcast. Now, first, here he is. Come in, come in. Wow, who's this handsome young man? It's Neil. Oh, that's a nice one to introduce me with. Uh, well, they, Finally, the one finally, I deserve. It took 140-odd episodes, but there we go. Finally did a nice one. I did, you did. I'm going to have to lap that one up, because that'll be the one and only. It will be. We'll be back to uh, slagging you off next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. Now, our <laughs> super fan, our super fan guest. This, shut up, Neil. We're for crying out loud. Our super fan guest this episode is an award-winning writer, from writing for U.S. drama Succession to writing on the phenomenon that is Killing Eve to writing and directing numerous plays and theater theater productions. Not only that. But Martin Mucklow once described it by saying, and I quote, she was worth a peep. It's it was a tweet. Jordan. Oh, was it a tweet? <laughs> it was a tweet. I've actually got proof. If you want it, it's there. <laughs> I, I, I assume that it's, it's printed out and hanging above your bed. Is that where it Absolutely. is? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where it is. <laughs> well, it's lovely mm. to chat to you, Anna. It's lovely to be here. I was very excited, as you know, um, when you asked me because definitely a super fan of the show and um yeah really thrilled um certified member of the dump gang good oh brilliant i've got a quick question why did he send you a tweet saying worth a peep in what context was it oh god oh god you know i can't remember i mean it wasn't weird or anything yeah, I was gonna say, it wasn't just a random one was it <laughs> It wasn't unsolicited. It was definitely, I can't remember what it was. It was me saying, it was me doing my general like gushing about the show probably on Twitter. And then maybe he just uh, said it as a, thanks for the support. You're worth a peep. No, I can't remember what it was, but it definitely wasn't an unsolicited. He he Googled, imaged you, looked at the photographs and then went, yeah, worth a peep. It's worth a peep, yeah. (laughs) So you say that you're a super fan. Um, when mm. did you first, when did it first come on your radar then as a TV show? 
Um, actually, it was uh, at the very beginning. And the only other TV show I remember uh, experiencing like that was Red Dwarf. I still remember watching the first ever episode of Red Dwarf with my dad, which is how old I am. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I was a big fan of that for years as well. But yeah, I remember being there from the very beginning. I remember um, that the trailer that they showed was when Curtin's talking to Kerry over and talking about when she sticks her big fat finger and presses... <laughs> Um, sporty Spice when the question is who's clearly not a Spice Girl and I remember and I think other people were saying the same thing at the time is that real like is that real and I remember thinking I hope it's not another one of these programs that you know sort of um, you know in the vein of Benefit Street or whatever those sort of bullshit uh, people that uh, programs that you know using people as you know sort of human um soap operas as it were yeah yeah and then and and actually it's so brilliantly done that it does take a little while if you knew nothing about the show it does take a little while to 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 get that it's um that it's scripted that it's not real and um and so I watched the first one and I was wondering whether because you you guys would know obviously because you've spoken to lots of people whether um it was other people had had the experience that it took a little while to get into I think it was maybe the second or third episode where I was really hooked and it's funny because when I go back and watch Scarecrow now I'm like this is a classic episode mm. <laughs> there's so many brilliant like uh, jokes and visuals and just so much great dialogue in that episode that you're like it feels like a real classic episode but yeah it was the first so um I think you can really see the uh, the development on it how well developed it was and mm. you know I think it was something they were working at for years and as these things in tv do take a long time don't they to kind of get there mm. so what was it that then that hooked you in and made you really really like it well it's a combination of things and it's all the sort of general stuff which is I think it's a fantastic writing um fantastic acting all across the board fantastic direction um but I think the reason I love it so much, the, the, the thing that really draws me to it is that I went out with a lad from the West Country for 10 years and he lived in the Forest of Dean, which isn't that far away from North Leach, really. No. And, and Gloucester is the main city. Um, and the Forest of Dean is a, t uh, uh, the village they lived in was a tiny village in the, in the, in the Forest of Dean. And so I spent, um, a lot of time there over a 10-year period. When I first started going there, I was a 19-year-old girl and I was from London and I was a bit, I have to say, I was a bit sort of shallow and a bit image-driven. I was a bit of a knob, actually. <laughs> and um, and I just remember, like, the culture shock of being in, in the country. It, you know, in the first place, just things like we ran out of fags and because my best mate comes from the area as well, we ran out of fags and my friend said um well we can wait till we go into town tonight and I was like that's it's like 10 o'clock in the morning now what are we going to do for the whole day or we can go and knock on all the neighbors doors or we can walk across those fields and it'll take about an hour and a half to get to the petrol station it just blew my mind I was like I, I need to be able to get things now um so it was a culture shock in terms of the landscape etc but also I, I think the people it was such a different attitude to life I was I'm, I'm probably selling myself a bit short, but I was um, I was really fixated on how things looked and and like my experience of being in the countryside around those people just kind of blew that out of the water and the humour as well. Like 
that the humour um, I really felt from this country was something I'd experienced over years. I made many, many friends there and we split it up um, 12 years ago. So I don't, I don't have those connections anymore, you know. Right. So for me, part of it felt like a little bit of going back into that world that, I'm, that I missed and that I felt a part of for a long time, you know. So you felt yeah. really connected with like the Steam Fair episode when they're walking through the woods to try and get to the Steam Fair. Yes. It's going to take them hours to get there then. Now, we, um, we, I never went to a Steam Fair, but the big thing for a few years when I was, when I was going there and stuff was New and Onion Fair. Are you guys from around there, by the way? We, well, we, yeah, we, we live in the, in the town where Daisy and Charlie live. So we live oh. about... What, did, was it 10 miles away from North Leach? Uh, not even that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, about eight miles away to North Leach, and that's where they oh. filmed the show, yeah. Yeah. And so, is, are you in Siren then? Is that yes. where? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. So, you probably know Nuance. Yeah. And so, there's <laughs> the Nuance Onion Fair, which would be, um, I mean, I found it hilarious at the time, I still do, but literally the vegetables, you know, looking, picking the best onions picking the best veg, all that stuff, big family day out. And we would just get absolutely off our tits. Like, <laughs> and then we'd just be like, oh, I can't wait to new, new and onion fair again next year. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So all of those little things, yeah. And also just the, um, I mean, I used to go for weekends, so it was different for me slightly, but that sense of there not being that much to do. So you amuse yourself. Um, and that's where I think like um, the uh, say banter, but you know, that the, the brilliant dialogue, if you look at a, an episode like oven space, which was obviously that, that um, I think it was, I think it's well known, isn't it? That they'd run out of budget. So they had mm. to make is the way that you fill that time with just conversation. It really reminded me of being back in Gloucester. Um, yeah. So there's lots and lots that I could relate to and missed as well. Mm. So we've had three series and a special. Yeah. Do you have a favourite series? Yes, I do. So let me have a think. Um, Well, I would say it's series three. I went to the showing at VFI and I remember when I went, I thought, am I setting myself up for a fall here? I get really emotionally involved, um, particularly with comedy. It's always been a big thing for me it's um you know obviously I work mainly in tv drama and I've written plays which are both funny and sad and you know dramatic but um but in terms of my comfort in terms of the things that I turn to when I'm feeling down or whatever it's always been comedy so I thought oh if this and and you know what they have every right to have a bum episode like they have consistently um just created the most incredible hilarious episodes the quality has been amazing so I was like they deserve a bummer episode if they want to you know if they Mm. they need to have one obviously also it was just after slugs had died so you know and I just wasn't disappointed at all it wasn't even the atmosphere I just thought the quality of that first episode which is where Kerry's at the dump isn't it and yeah and then we watched the second one so I love that and then I just thought that I I don't know. I feel like I'm learning all the time as a writer. I I trained as an actor, so this hasn't been my life's work. I only started writing properly about sort of um, 12 years ago. Um, But to see the craft and the development and um, in their characters and then to go back to driving lesson. And I think you can. Sorry, I'm sort of um, analysing it a bit. No, that's good. (laughs) 
But if you go back and you hold up driving lesson with oven space, they're not dissimilar in that they're really contained. Mm. But of course, then you bring in Vicar um, and you and you get that just fucking oh I can swear I forgot yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking fucking amazing um monologue and but there's all the yeah just really really beautiful um I was I who was I listening to talk about this I don't know but I thought it was interesting in that um I think it might have been Charlie Cooper at some point talking about how they swear a bit less as the series go on and I feel the same about my work my my early plays and stuff were full of full of swearing it's funny how you develop I think as a writer and um but yeah so I think that I th- I love them all but I think it's got to be season three and then that finale like mm. you say finale I always get mixed up now between the American and the English way of describing mm-hmm. it. I say seasons and finales and not fucking series and last episode um I mean it was perfection really wasn't it and and yeah I could talk about. I could talk about that all night. I love it's, it. It's, it's interesting what you say about that. You know, they earn the fact that they could do a, a bum episode. When we've done our recaps, mm-hmm. they've set such a high bar mm. that that we feel like sometimes when it's an episode that's maybe an eight, yeah. which which would be the peak of a lot of comedy shows yeah, or any yeah. show, any show, it doesn't matter whether it's comedy. Because I like you say, one minute you're laughing, the next minute you're crying, the next minute you're yeah, your, your eyes are behind your your, your hands wondering oh yeah. what next. But the, the point I was trying to make is that, that they set such a high bar that that mm. they're what what you would clap. I mean, I don't know. They haven't had a bum note. There aren't episodes that I think me personally are not as good as say something like Office Space. But that's they're still an mm. eight. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, yes. how hard is it to 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 like you say have that kind of consistency? Well, I mean, if I was gonna. If I was going to pick, um, I don't think any of them have been a bum note. I thought that the special, um, I felt that it had all the elements of a brilliant episode, but stretched out over, was it an hour or 45 minutes? 45, about 45, about 45, 45. minutes. Yeah, I, yeah. That for me, it was still brilliant stuff in it, but that for me didn't work as well. But that is the closest it gets, uh, really, for me. And I thought another, and this isn't uh, something that I disliked, but. Um, something that I've been thinking about with this country uh, is the complete lack of music. Mm. And I think it's really, really important because they offer you, um, they are offering you truth and laughs and they're not, and obviously it works brilliantly in that mockumentary um, sort of format, but they are not influencing in any way. They are not trying to control or manipulate or, and obviously music has its place, but I remember, I'm such a geek, but at the end of season two, when Kerry has to make her decision, they 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 weirdly bring in some underscoring. And I'm like, mm, yes. what is this? Yeah. You know, um, but I think that it, it had its place, like I really do. And um, so, yeah, where were we going? I've just got... <laughs> I don't, it's funny you say that, but is that is that... A cheat by a writer to to have that as because I think you're right. There, there's some films I've seen over the last sort of six months that mm. you can tell there is music saying you must cry at this moment, and yeah. it's, and, and then you feel a bit cheated because it's telling you what to feel rather than just pure writing, which is that's what's making you feel things. Yeah, completely. So I I come from a theatre background, and um, I would we generally 
well, I, you know, coming up in my career, I've never really used music as an underscore, but it's always really been important in terms of transitions and moving through scenes, opening. And then I've seen quite a lot of stuff of, in the theatre, not recently, because obviously there is no theatre. Mm. <laughs> but um, before that, where a constant underscore is used, yeah, I feel a bit like, yeah, it has its place. Um, can you hear that? <laughs> Screaming baby, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Nice. Neil um, does it all the time, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I, I would ask, is it yours? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's my little boy, he's two. Oh, bless um, him. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, uh, I feel absolutely, I mean, I, you know, particularly with movies, I get so, I feel so... Um, just shortchanged when I it's exactly it's a it's a it's a map it's telling you how to feel and I think music can be incredibly powerful um but also the other thing about this country and not using any music obviously it has the mockumentary um and the office also sort of did it in their last ever episode if you remember when dawn and And they play that only you by Kazoo or Yazoo or something. Mm. That that impacted really well, but otherwise they don't have any. Um that they are really um uh there's no neat endings. I think this is what I found interesting about Harvest and about the end of Harvest is you keep thinking, is it is it gonna end on this punchline? Is it gonna end on this? Is it gonna and it sort of drags out a little bit, but in a way that you in the way that real life does you know it does it isn't neatly tied in a bow and then you just have that moment where it it goes to the credits and you're like oh my god that's it that's that it. is yeah. it mm-hmm. and, it's, and it doesn't offer you something neat or something emotional emotionally climactic it's just real because life goes on you know yeah mm-hmm. especially the, the lives the lives that they lead nothing happens and it just it, 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 i think when we go and see them in 10 years time i'm hoping and praying that they are just doing exactly the same, <laughs> walking around, you know, and they haven't changed one bit. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. One of my so. favourite bits is when uh, GMVQ and Curtin's like, Carrie rang me at 3am and said that she's seen a badger that looks exactly <laughs> like Grandad. Yeah. And I came running over and I thought, what am I doing with my life? Um, <laughs> there's something interesting about like, so the level of detail in the script and the way it's written I always thought this is either massively improved or it's absolutely honed with like an obsessive nature because rhythmically it feels so um, brilliant. And and I can't remember, again, who interview I watched, but they were saying about how it's really, it's really honed. It's really rehearsed. It's mm. really rhythmically kind of beaten out. And I just think some of them, some of those detailed the bits of dialogue and stuff are just brilliant, like the badger that looks like Grandad and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you do you watch the show and put your writer's head on then when you're watching it and how they came to these sort of things and um, dialogue? I, well, I have like a bit of a. I'm sort of like uh, I do, I do and I don't. I mean, I I understand that the world is very that's their world in a lot of ways. Like it's they have that I would only be able to write with that level of authenticity and authority about my world, which is, wouldn't be that funny or interesting. I don't think, do you know what I mean? The world that I've sort of lived in and grown up in, I can, I can totally watch and appreciate and, and think I can see what they've done there and yeah, learn from it, massively learn from it. But I've got a bit of a weird relationship with comedy where 
it's, you know, when I look at the programs that I go back to again and again, the formative programs across my life, they've been like, basically only fools and horses was my, my massive obsession. Mm. Um, Alan Partridge as well, totally different, but I'm just obsessed with, he's like a beautiful monster, you know, <laughs> and the way they keep bringing back in a new format, um, this country as well, you know, but, but, and all of my plays have been funny in well most of them <laughs> um but i've never written a comedy because i'm too scared because once you say it's a comedy it's got to be funny <laughs> you know if it's dramatic and uh, if it's a drama with laughs in it then great a, a few laughs are a bonus but um but i'm just working on my first sitcom now so i'm just like you know you've got to take the ball by the horns and actually just think and and you know the, the sitcoms i love uh, or the comedies I love aren't always a laugh a minute. They're not bang, 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 bang. Mm. Um, mm. There's plenty to watch in in this country that isn't necessarily, a, you know, a gag or a punchline, you know. Mm. So how yeah. do you find your ideas for your sitcom? I mean, I'm not going to uh, push you to tell us what it's about, but how did you come up with the ideas um, for it? No. Well, actually, interestingly enough, it is weirdly based on... Um, my life and my family's life so um, I do think it's about coming from um, a place of like authenticity it's certainly to start with um, and then but I think also I'm I feel like I'm not a writer that has great ideas I feel like once I get a great idea given to me or I do come up with a great idea I can create the characters I can create the relationships I can do the dialogue I love all that but it's finding that idea. Um, and so, you know, like I, there's so many things I'd love to do um, a comedy set in some sort of precinct. So, you know, I, I think a service station would be a great place to do it, you know, on the, on the motorway, because it's just such a weird um, place where people are there for so many, you know, different reasons or different walks of life. Um, what did you ask me? <laughs> how do you get the inspiration or the um where do you get yeah. the ideas from to write a sitcom yeah. um so yeah so I can't I can't talk about it <laughs> but I but so it's yeah the sitcom I'm working on is sort of loosely based on a situation with my family um and and other stuff I've worked on you know have been uh sometimes influenced by friends people I've had in my life always a lot to do with growing up I feel I am um, you know I'm always drawn to things that feel like they're about uh coming of age you know change growing up all that stuff I'm really interested in and I think that's funny actually again because I always think about Kerry and Curtin as being quite young but I think they're meant to be mid to late 20s aren't they that's what I think they must be. Yeah, I think the first time we spoke to Daisy and Charlie, I think Charlie said that they're supposed to be mid, mid-20ish, yeah. Yeah, sorry, my foot's gone to sleep, so I better move <laughs> it before, before it gets beyond the point that I can do anything about it. I'll start screaming. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's different, isn't it? Because when you first watch it, you think, oh, they're probably 22, 23. And as you're getting on, you know with it you realize no they're over and Kerry's still hanging around with the year sevens and stuff mm. I mean that's the thing I think it has the it's the brilliance of and and the stuff that I've worked on as well with succession with killing Eve I've been really lucky because it's this the thing that I love that this country does that only fools does to a certain extent which is it serves you up uh 
reality, sadness, all of the the stuff, you know, um, the sad stuff in life, along with the comedy, which is life really, isn't it? You know, that that totally is our experience of life. And I feel that when we try to separate those things and people say, you know, is is it, is your, is your play funny or or drama, (laughs) funny or serious, you know, Mm. and I'll just be like, it's both. It's got to be both for me. Um, Because that is is just real life, isn't it? It's real Mm. life. Yeah. And I particularly learned that in, you know, spending time in, in Gloucester and being around in Gloucester, you know, I, my partner's, my ex-boyfriend's brother died very suddenly, uh, right in the middle of the, you know, the, the time that I was spending there. And, um, and also devastating memory, but so much laughter. And actually, you know, from the very, from the night that we found out it had happened and we all congregated in the house, there were still laughs. There was still, and I, at the time, I couldn't believe it. It really blew my mind, but I understand it now. I, you know, it's like, um, watched a documentary about Richard Pryor the other night and there's this brilliant quote in it. Um, I can't remember, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, you know, after everything he went through, his heart attacks and setting himself on fire and cocaine and all that, that he really truly believes there isn't a single thing in the world that you can't make funny or you can't mm. be funny about, you can't make a joke. And I, you know, I, I agree because it's how we get through, isn't it? It's how we... Mm. What else? What else is yeah, there? No, that, that was... <laughs> <laughs> so when it when it comes to uh, writing for things like Succession and Killing yeah. Eve, because that's mm. obviously not your project, you're brought in to write an episode. How does yes. that work? Or how is that? I mean, obviously, it's very different to when it's something where it's your own characters. Mm-hmm. But it, does it take more preparation to do that because you've got to learn about the characters? How does that work? Yeah. So they're both very, um, Succession and Killing Eve were really different experiences. I got a really broad range. I was lucky because when I joined Succession, firstly, it was my first ever TV job as a writer, which is just ridiculous. Obviously, I understood how amazing the team was, but we didn't know that it was going to be such a success then because it it was brand new. And so um, uh, the the pilot existed. I'd seen the pilot. Jesse wrote these incredible um, characters, Jesse Armstrong, who I I I really relished writing. I loved. Um, I don't know if you've watched it, but I loved writing um, Roman Kieran Culkin's character. You know, cousin Greg and Tom. Really fantastic, brilliant characters to write. Um, but I was there. I mean the way that they write in the States and the way that they write here is very different, but both kill, it's, uh, both Killing Eve and Succession have sort of worked on a bit of an American model. Um, I don't know if that's quite right with Killing Eve, but certainly with Succession. So we were actually in the writer's room for five months, which you wouldn't really get over here in the same way, um, but because it was HBO and stuff. So we, I was there from sort of two weeks in, I was there and, it really was, you know, talking through creating those characters. So it was great to feel that I was a part of that, actually. Mm. Um, so by the time I came to write my episode, which was sort of at the end of the five months, I actually felt I had quite a good handle on who these characters were. Although, having said that, it's not my world. It's not my area of expertise, you know. Um, and so I always felt like, oh my God, what am I doing here? But you need a very, you need like a, a var- varied people. Um, and I was interested in, you know, what it was like to be the child of incredibly rich and incredibly wealthy, 
powerful people and how that impacted the way you grow up. I mean, that, all that stuff's really fascinating to me. Um, Killing Eve, completely other end of the spectrum. I joined season three. I, there was a massive amount of expectation. There are characters. I've never known fans. I mean, not my fans. <laughs> I've never known fans of a show to feel that they have so much ownership over those mm. characters you know the way that people feel about even villanelle it's just incredible um but does that and, add more pressure then when you're when yeah. you do you have that in the back of your mind well you do but the thing is with something like killing eve um suzanne heathcote who was the showrunner she did just such an incredible job of just closing that door to the room and it just being us if you let in that outside pressure and you know, it's it was such a it is such a famous show. Then you'll never get anywhere. You will yeah. never get anywhere. So you have to close that door and go. Okay, let's play now. Um, you know, I really believe that the ability to be playful in sort of all walks of life, but particularly when you're making and creating, whether it's theatre or TV or whatever, um, is is the key uh, basically. Um, but we were really lucky also because those characters are really well created right from the outset from Phoebe uh, Waller-Bridge's first season, you know, they're really beautifully drawn and like really detailed and funny and flawed. And then of course you've got these incredible actors playing them. And we had each actor, apart from Sandra, who we spoke to regularly on conference calls, but we had each actor come in and see us, you know, we had Jodie and we had Kim and we had Fiona and just incredible. I said, I don't know why, they were asking on some Facebook group yesterday, they were asking, what's something that you don't believe anyone else on this group will have done? And I said, oh, I nearly squirted Kim Bodnia, who plays Constantin in Killing Eve with breast milk because he, <laughs> came, because he came in to see us and I was sitting next to him. And Killing Eve company, Sid Gentle, production company were amazing. My, my son was five months old and they, they, they paid for an office downstairs that we set up as a nursery and I had a nanny and she'd bring him up twice a day and I'd feed him so I'm there next to Kim Bodnia who's just brilliant and like really dishy and just funny and and just sort of had a little squirt and thought oh god (laughs) 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 but it it was okay um and so yeah two different ends of the scale you know just to sit and talk to Fiona Shaw was just incredible Mm. um but yeah, I think I, I think we all did a quite a good job of shutting out that pressure. And then, of course, it's it's different because as a writer, you sort of you you peel off and you're doing your own things, or you you know maybe your contracts come to an end, and other people still might be working on it, and they're working on different episodes. And it's only really, well, it, you know, it feels like only really the showrunner, unless you're an exec producer, only really the showrunner is seeing it through all the way mm. to the end as a writer. Um, but, you know, uh, massive learning experiences, both of those, I've been really lucky to be a part of, you know. Yeah. So how did you get into writing then, Anna? Well, I trained as an actor. Um, and actually, it's why I, I feel like a bit of um, empathy or affinity with Daisy May because she went to RADA and um, obviously she trained long after I did. But um, And I went to Lambda, which is they're two of the considered two of the best sort of drama schools and I don't know if it's the same now um but it was back then it was sort of considered well if you go to Rado or Lambda you'll be all right you know um 
and it was a sort of a weird snobbery really but it's just not fucking true like it's <laughs> really not I had I had such a difficult time when I left drama school and I know you know Daisy didn't have a great time after leaving Raja as well um and so I I tried to act but I was my you know, I didn't come from a financially privileged background at all. So I, as soon as I got out of drama school, you know, I was working full-time and part-time to try and pay back things that I owed, bits and bobs, mm. get myself back on my feet, start paying rent to my parents again, which I'd, you know, been lucky to live in London, live at home through drama school. And, you know, uh, it's just a very, very tough business. I can't even imagine how actors feel now. Um, Anyway, in a job that I did get, <laughs> one of the jobs that I did get, there weren't many of them. I was working, it was like a site-specific piece in this tower block uh, that was about to be demolished. And it was this crazy thing because it was actually in the tower block. And there were about five families left in this whole tower block. And we interviewed them. And just some of the stuff that came up, I don't know why. It was something in my, something just clicked for me. I thought, I'm going to write a play about this. <laughs> and so I did. And and that's how I started. And I thought I could never, I always wanted to be an actor. I never wanted to be a writer. And I never really thought that I could let go of performing. And now I'm just like, oh, I totally can. And I get in, get to the bar much earlier than all the actors, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all that stuff. I can totally deal with being on this side of it. Um, and And then I wrote in sort of in the wilderness for about 10 or for about seven years. And then I was really lucky to win this playwriting competition, which then, um, which really took my career off and this really fortunate turn of events that then I ended up being in the succession room. And then having done succession, you know, it's like anything really, isn't it? Like any job when you've done a certain thing, then people will be interested in you for this and this and this. And so since then, it's, well, I've been able to make a living out of it for about four years now. And that was all I ever wanted. Like the idea of being able to make a living as a writer mm. was really, um, yeah, mm. everything to me. I have a question for you, though, Anna. Being a writer, how do you combat oh, on, writer's block? Oh, hang on. I can't hear you. Sorry. Oh, dear. Can you hear me? Can you hear us hang now? On. One sec. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah, we can hear you. Speak, say something. Hello, oh, hello, 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 hello. I don't know what it is. I got these from a chari- charity shop. so maybe it's like- <laughs> Full of earwax. Okay, take, t- <laughs> so, take two. <laughs> I have a question, Anna. Um, writer's block, how do you combat that? Okay, I don't believe in writer's block. It does exist. I'm telling you. It are you a writer exist. as well? Are you? Well, we, we, I've got another question to follow up with this, but but sort of try in, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Um, you should do my workshop tomorrow. I'll tell you about it. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to get free advertising. <laughs> I promise. Um, um, so the reason that I don't believe in it, don't get me wrong. I know that sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it feels like a grind, and sometimes it feels impossible and painful. But when we talk about being blocked, it's like a binary thing. You're blocked or you're not. So it means that we're looking for a a key to unlock a door and there's only one key that can unlock that door and then that door opens and everything's okay again. The truth is that it's such a, like a grayscale. Do you know what I mean? And there's, 
you should, I think as a writer, you should never, there is never a point where you can't create anything. Um, this workshop that I'm teaching tomorrow is about, um, it's about how to, uh, how to, how to uh, sustain your interest and your excitement in an idea over a long period of time when you might not be working on it or it might not be being produced, etc. But all of the teaching and workshops and stuff I do and when I work with young writers and stuff is about how can we mix up what we do? So how can we get away from the laptop and, uh, you know, things like timed writing exercises, using um, going out in nature or out in an urban environment, if that's more relevant, um, using your voice recorder rather than you know, I think that it kills us sitting at a laptop sometimes. Um, I think using a whiteboard and using cards or there's always little ways that you can get yourself out of it. And I think if you are working on a dinner party scene and you are stuck on this dinner party scene, if you keep trying to write that dinner party scene, you might find that you halt. But if you can go off and do a bit of character thought tracking for example what ha what's going through this character's head even if he's not saying it or uh, write a little scene about what someone does in the toilet when they go for a wee in you know or um just anything that is not necessarily to go into the piece at the end but anything that sort of starts your brain working around the same area but from a different angle I think is really useful so I yeah I'm not I am denying the present, the, the existence of writer's block, but only because I think that it's a really unhelpful um, concept. Right. Okay. So um, I've got a question for a friend that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that it's when you're writing or when this person is writing or, or trying <laughs> to write, it's almost like they're holding back and they don't want to write everything because they want to keep it for themselves. Does that yes, make sense? Yes. Um, when you say keep it for yourself or keep it for your friend's self. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Um, why? What, what is it about? Um, it's like you don't, you don't want to let the story go. So oh, my friend, so my friend has told me is that they don't want to let the story, so they don't want to write everything down because it means then the story is out for everybody to see it. They want to keep it. It's like something's holding them back. Yeah. So you want to keep it. Um, you want to keep it. So because you're afraid of what people will think, your friend wants to keep it because he's afraid of what people <laughs> will think of it, or because you covet it and want it just to be yours and not to share it with the world. Yeah, but I think it's also the it's just also like within the story is you don't want to let the story. It's just really weird because the the way I even talking that out now, no, it sounds like my friend is a complete loon. <laughs> <laughs> but I I really there is no. There's, there's no normal with writing. It's such a weird, so my, you know, I have only known a couple of writers in my life who sort of sit down in the evening with like a cup of tea and sit in front of the, you know, like um, the opening of Murder, She Wrote, you know, <laughs> just, you know, get typing, just loving it, you know, maybe say, for, it's always chaotic for me. It's always uh, not late nights, but early mornings and like listening to weird music and like walking around the room and all that stuff. That's when all the, the best stuff comes. So it doesn't sound mad at all. No. Um, I, I can always remember that documentary about Roald Dahl 
and yes. it shows him pottering off down to his shed, and he yeah. and he and he's got his flask of coffee, and he's got his pen, electronic pencil sharpener, and he just zzz, and then he just starts and he makes it look like it's a, just a wonderful little, just a little thing to do, and then he's wrote all these amazing books and stuff, and you think, well, it can't be that easy, surely? Don't I think it's? Oh, hang on a minute, I wanted to find you this. It's probably going to be really shit now, but I wrote a stupid little poem about this once, and I was going to read it to you. Um, it's called "Stupid Little Poem." I wrote, uh, "The fluttering mind, like a hesitant moth, flies around the light bulb of an idea, unable to land for more than a moment for fear of getting burned. Let the moth land and allow his wings to burst into flames." In brackets, although then he won't have any wings, this could be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but that was just a little. That's really how I feel sometimes when I'm writing, is that um, it's not so much about keeping the story for myself, or or, but it's about fear of letting go. Like, oh my god, what happens if I if I if I let go? You know, mm. it's a fucking weird thing, but it is. It's exciting. Like it keeps you on your, it keeps you on your toes, right? Yeah. You know, I think it's always interesting. Um, but yeah, I never think it's weird. It's, it definitely doesn't sound weird. Well, I will pass on your advice to, <laughs> to my friend and, pass and the, about the hesitant moth. And uh, the hesitant, <laughs> indeed, right now it's obvious that you're a uh, a very um, big super fan of this country. I am. So Have you got a quiz gonna, for me? We're going to find out how much of a super oh, no, fan I you f- are. Oh, uh, I feel under gonna, pressure. Well, we're going to play Kerry or Curtain, so I'm going to give you oh, a line of dialogue and yeah, you need yeah, to tell yeah. me if it was Kerry or Curtain. I think you're going to do well at this. So you've got five altogether. I so hope so. Here's number one. Do you know what? I'm just going to go home and think about it. Kerry in Mandy. Correct. One out of one. Well done. Number With two. a bonus point for the episode. I mean, that's very good. I mean, if you can give me the scene as well, then you know. Yeah, it's it's when um, oh, it's when Mandy falls asleep. It is. It yeah. is. You're absolutely right. Number two, you are <laughs> you are exactly how I remembered. It's so weird. Rob Robinson, uh, sorry, curtain to Rob Robinson in the petrol station forecourt. Is correct. Yes, that's the Mandy episode as well. Well done. Yes. Two for yeah, two. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Question number three. Absolutely battered last night. Can't wait for a debrief with the lads as well. Right. Oh, this is one of my faves because that was Curtain. And it is, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's when he does that amazing physical comedy where he pushes the wheelbarrow up the um, the plank and then the plank goes up at the end. Absolutely work, right. Working for Martin Mucklow, yeah. Well done. Threatening letters is the is the. Oh episode. yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's three out of three. Number four. Yeah. So we went to the Weymouth Pavilion to go and see the summer pantomime, and Toadfish from Neighbours was playing Wishy Washy. Oh, I feel like that's got to be curtain. Am I wrong? Uh, is that your answer? Yeah, it's curtain. It's not, is it? It's not. It's Kerry at the station. From series three. The shame of it. So three out of four. Here's your last one. One. That is brilliant. Brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. That's curtain. That is curtain. (laughs) That is curtain. What episode is it? No, I don't know. I don't know, but it is curtain. It is curtain. That's family loyalties. 
that's when Kerry gives him a Dyson behind the bar to yes, as a little yeah, yeah, softener yeah. so that he hides the Dysons. Four out of five. Well that's done. That's very respectable. I'm, yeah, no, I'm 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 not happy, but you're gonna be led in bed tonight with those crumbs and you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be thinking that's, that's you're gonna be going over and over and you over. Are. Can that's I like as a, a as a bonus, can I um show you how I got my son to say tomato? Oh, yes, absolutely. This has literally been like the whole time he's been speaking, I've been training him up. <laughs> <laughs> a worthwhile one. He's your, he's your own little this country sang box. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, where is it? Hang on. No, I can't let, let myself down now. Right, hang on. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Oh, that is awesome. That is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and oh, also, g- guess what his name is? Uh, Curtin. Curtin. Griff. <laughs> oh, very good. But, but I am not that much of a super fan. He was very much born in advance of um of season three. Oh, but okay. it's funny because uh, apart from Griff Reese Jones, that is the only other Griff <laughs> I know or have heard of. <laughs> so you named him after Griff Reese Jones. No, we didn't. We just really, like, no, we didn't. We just really like the name. Um, yeah. yeah, that's great. That I'm is fantastic. No, no, he's a lovely man. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's a lovely man. Right, Anna, I've got an, another question. And they have never ruled out that they might bring this country back and they may do a movie. Oh, so yeah. yes or no to a movie of this country? Oh, no, it's such a hard question. I, uh, I mean, I want more, but also I am. I would be really happy for them to stop where they have. So, I talked about um, Only Fools and Horses being my other, well, my biggest passion, really. Like I, you know, that I watched. I was so obsessed with growing up. But I actually, like a purist, I don't recognise any episode after they get the money for the clock. I completely agree. I just uh, yeah. don't, don't recognise it. It doesn't, no. it, on my radar, doesn't exist. No. Now, I, d- I don't feel like Kerry and Curtin would ever do anything like that. I think it would be weird because I wonder if, and also because they've got such a strong fan base, that there would be people that really just want to watch more and more and more of them in their natural habitat doing what they do. Um, or they're... You know, it it might be it's a bit like Alpha Papa, which I think worked well the the um, Alan Partridge film, but it's mm. it's it's very different to see him in that medium. Oh God, do I have to? I have to say, don't I? Yes or no? I, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> we, we've asked the question. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. So, would you rather have that than say a series four? No, no, no. I'd rather have series four. I think yeah. the format works incredibly. I think if they have if they make a movie it has to um it, it, it has to have like a full plot or, or mm. i don't know um, yeah i kind of well, feel like i feel like everything it's got to sustain 90 minutes hasn't it so yeah and i think that the beauty of this country is that nothing really happens mm. even though loads of things happen at the same time nothing really happens so i feel a bit like in the movie, something would need to happen. And I think, do you know what I was thinking about is, um, do, you, do you remember the film What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, very really much. Yeah. Beautiful film. And um, I think it is that film where they were like a really small 
kind of rural-ish community, but there's a big supermarket coming there. And just everyone's suddenly like wearing the baseball caps and people are working there and no one's going to the local shop anymore. I feel like it would have to be something, maybe something like that. Like I feel like um, like a big out-of-city shopping mall was built there or I don't know and like Curtin really bought into it and Kerry really hated it or or, or something like that Um, motorways going straight through the village or something yeah or just something that's a bit like that really um that really uh disturbs their way of life yeah and I'd I'd love to watch Kerry and Curtin in all sorts of different situations do you know what I mean but I think it's just it's perfection where we see them in their own habitat Mm. When you said uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape, straight away I thought of Sue <laughs> and the yes, mother. And the what's eating... <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I mean, that is such a, what an amazing creation, like that character. Mm. And, and also, um, that's right, because in what's eating Gilbert Grape, she doesn't leave the house, does she? Because she's no. so enormously no. fat. I mean, that's, mm. that's a, a, a brilliant film. Um, but again, it's like, even though the character is hilarious and obviously the voice is brilliant and all that, it's also like a sad. It's sad, isn't it? It's so sad. It's no. so sad. But yet, the but yet the humour is threaded through it constantly. You know, the bit about us um, feet, like two two bits of spam, <laughs> and him turning her over with a snow shovel and all that stuff. You never lose the humour, but it's no. again, it's a sad story. Mm. She doesn't ever get out of bed. And following on from what would Kerry and Curtin be doing next? How do you feel um, in regards to the US uh, remake that they're doing? Well, how do you feel? Because obviously you've worked in the uh, American television, so you've sort of seen how it, how it works. What do well, you think? I, think? I think it's hard, isn't it? Because I remember how I reacted when they said they were going to make The Office in the US. And then actually I really liked The US oh, Office. Yeah, yeah. I find it really weird when you watch the pilot and there's some bits from The English Office in it because after that they really just, they find their own mm. thing with it and, and it feels absolutely right. And this isn't a criticism of the English version at all, but it feels absolutely right that the English version stopped at two seasons and the American version ran and ran. I mean, I haven't seen the later um, seasons of it. I think that, and also Getting On is another one of my favourite comedies I don't know if you know that Joe Brand and Joanna Scanlon I want to say a brilliant two brilliant actresses about uh, the NHS and about nurses again there was a there was a US version of that that was actually really good and um so I'm not I want to say like oh no but actually I'm just gonna wait it's it's about it's about how they take the concept and make it their own you know, and yeah, they will do that. I mean, I, th- I think, I feel like I heard this on your show that there's a really good team behind it. Yeah, it's Paul, Paul Feig. Paul Feig is, mm. uh, is, I don't think he's show running, but I know that he's definitely an executive producer. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's a good, there's a good pedigree there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I say, you just yes, have to wait yeah. and see. I mean, we know from talking to the to the fans and that, that a lot of them, they don't want it to be the in-betweeners or they don't want it to be the IT crowd like the Americans have done with it and and they want mm-hmm. to, again, but it's just, but then the Amer- the US, UK version is always going to be there. It's yeah, not going to take away I, I from that. Yeah, it's slightly, it's a bit, you know, we've got to be generous. Like if, if they make the US version of this country, like this sounds silly, but it's for the US. It's yeah. like they need to share. I, but is this country on there? 
It, it, yes. it is. Yes, they yeah. have, I don't think they've had a special or series three, but they've definitely oh. had series one and two on, on Hulu. I think it was on. Yes, I'm yeah. always trying to get people to watch it. Um, funnily enough, I don't really <coughs> know what any of my Gloucester friends think about it because oh, I right. don't. I mean, I think I've spoken to a couple of them. My best mate. Now she lives in Myanmar now, so I don't think they can get it out there or whatever. You know, I, I think it's difficult for her to get or, um, yeah, but I don't know. I, I think I spoke to one friend that just said, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, it feels really real. But yeah, I don't know. I wonder if it's a bit close to home for them. Because we did do, we did the pilgrimage, me and my sister. We went and stood exactly where you are. Oh, right. We actually went, we went on holiday to the Cotswolds um, and we went and we did the whole little recce of the village and, um, we were trying to take a selfie outside the house and this woman came up and said, you know, um, would you like me to take it? And my sister said, oh, do you get, you know, do you, you get pissed off with this? And she said, no, not at all. Yeah. But, you know, I, I wonder how people do feel about the way that it represents their... their um... I think the majority of people like it. I mean, famously, Daisy said that there was one woman that um, would, like, park a Land Rover in front of the cameras and stuff. And, you know, you're always going to get that one person i think then that was who nan was based on you know uh, curtains who, nan who is, plays her? do we know well we've said before we think it's tilda swinton i think when you think of tilda swinton i can't see anybody else no i and, think you're um, right and i don't but believe in the know? stories uh, no they, they're being very we've had um uh the director and the producer and they both have kept stum and and people are being very quiet about it i'm sure it'll come out sooner or later but we've yes. tried we've tried yeah, to find yeah, out yeah, yeah. But I think once you look at it, if you squint, you can sort of see. Yes. Well, because then um, wasn't t- Tony Collette was one of the options, and definitely not her. No, no I think I it's don't. because. But Daisy worked with Tilda Swinton and David Copperfield. I think it just seems. Oh. It just seemed obvious that it was yes. her. Just, it, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's such a good actress that she can put on a good, uh, yeah. you know, West Country accent. She can do anything, can't she, Tilda Swinton? Yeah. I love the um, I love the relationship between him and his nan. You get to know a bit more about it in season three. And you see the way that he is so <laughs> adverse to having Kerry stay over and stuff like that. I mean, that's something to, that might be somewhere to go with the movie is like, we never, we don't know anything about Curtin's mum, do we? At no. all. Is she no. ever mentioned? I don't think, don't she think has, so. No, the dad was obviously. The dad, uh, yeah. The, um, but he had like, <laughs> his knees were backwards because of yes, polio. Yes. <laughs> that's one of my, um, that was something else I wanted to say about it actually is that, um, Curtin's Half-Brother is one of my favourite episodes mm. as is The Vicar's Son and I, I've never known a show so successfully bring in other artists, other actors to play, you know, because I think if you think about the guy that plays Jacob um, The Vicar's Son, he's yeah. such a brilliant actor mm. the guy who does the speech about Curtin's Half-Brother <laughs> and they sort of it's so brilliantly delivered when he says, um, he would say things like, um, have a good evening and see you tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. except on Fridays when he would say, see you Monday. And then it just tears <laughs> off. That's all they've got to say about him. Um, and then, you know, uh, King of the Nerds, is it? Those yeah. boys, those characters. Yeah. I just think some of my favourite episodes are ones where they fought other people in and usually I'm not like that usually I'm like I just don't want new people just mm. I want characters I know and love mm. um so yeah but you look at Arthur Arthur's another one of those characters I mean uh, and forgive me I can't remember the actor's name but mm. he's a guy that has cropped up for years and years in, as a character actor but he's yeah. maybe he's in one episode for two minutes yes. or you know the, the episode with with Martin Mucklow in series three you have um 
Dan Greaves is at the the, the party. You mm. just see him for a couple of seconds. Obviously, um, Paul said that that went on longer, but they just yeah. it down. And then which, you see... which party bit? Which is... so this is um, it, what what's the name of the episode? Uh, Cynthia, Cynthia episode. Yes, when he's yeah. having he's having his um, uh, skittles in vodka, and he's having his uh, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. So you right. you see Dan Greaves there, Jimmy Walker's yeah. there, yeah. but you think, oh my god, there's there's Dan. And he didn't have yeah. a word to say. He's just singing mm-hmm. around and you know having a drink. And then you yeah. just see you just see Sandra from a distance when Martin is giving her a snog and yeah, yeah, yeah the, it's the like lovely a real Holly community, Atkins. isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. it's just like just there for you think, oh my god, there must be more surely because they're a big character, but they're just part of the village. They're just you know yeah. just there for a second and and away they go. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's that amazing thing of just knowing everyone, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. It is. Which we um, don't have so much here. <laughs> no, we don't. No, no, no. That's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, but I think everybody knows a big Mandy. Everybody, know, yeah. everybody yeah. knows a Len, you yeah. know, and I think that's what makes it universal is the fact that yeah. everybody knows somebody in their past like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, Anna, have you got anything that you're working on that you can tell us about? Or is it all very, <laughs> very Hollywood? Yeah, very very, uh, I can't talk about it. Um, very uh, hush, hush. No, what am I working on? Well, I'm actually working on something I'm really enjoying working on, a show called Becoming Elizabeth, which is very new territory for me because it's a period drama, which is not usually my cup of tea at all. Um, But it's about um, uh, the period just before Elizabeth I comes to the throne. And um, the lead writer on that is Anya Rees. And I think anything that I can read a script of a period drama and feel like I connect, that I'm interested, that it's exciting and sexy and funny. Mm. I was really drawn to that. So I've written an episode for that. I've just get, got in my fifth draft, I think, today. Um, and I've, I've loved doing that. I've really enjoyed doing that. I'm working on a film at the moment. Uh, I don't know what you're supposed to <laughs> <laughs> Which is about a group of young people in Islington. I think I can say that much. Um, who go on this crazy adventure and I mean I really I really enjoy writing about young people I've or not writing uh, you know but I, I've I've worked with young people for a lot of my life I've taught, taught acting um, to young people mentored young people and so very often my work kind of revolves around young people I think it's fascinating fascinating to imagine what life must be like can you imagine going through this but also, like getting your first pubes. And... Yeah. yeah. Well, I, did, I completely. <laughs> that, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm going through at the moment. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Honestly, it's like you know, there's a global pandemic, and I can't go to school, and I'm sprouting hairs, and you know what I mean. I'm, yeah. I'm falling in love. That's a, that is a typical a typical writer's example. That is that you you went for your first pubes. <laughs> 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 I um I love I find anything that uh, uses pubes as a joke funny like um when Curtin says they're bowling like absolute pubes today yeah. <laughs> and parsnip pubes yeah parsnip pubes that's so I, funny I've that's never so looked funny. at a parsnip in the same way now you but just you know, but you know what as well I thought that that was such a brilliant little bit because I had exactly the same experience when I was growing up as Carrie did because you know growing up. Um, now, not maybe not quite so badly, but definitely then, the women's bodies you never saw, women or people's bodies, you never saw real bodies. And then you no. go to the swimming pool and you're like, 
what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Why are they? Why are these women not covering themselves up? Which is a terrible thing to say, but I think that, that we're a product of of the media and you know of of what we are exposed to. But yeah, I mm. think that was a brilliant. Well, it sounds like you were exposed to a lot when you were younger. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh dear, Anna, thank you so much for spending yes, some time with you. us. It's Yay. been so much fun. My friend yeah. will enjoy all that advice that you yes. uh, gave him or her. Yes. Uh, will um, appreciate that. Thank you so much. Please uh, stay with us for a second. Thank Neil just yes, I will. I will. does his little <laughs> bits and pieces. Absolutely. Well, you can find us on all the social media sites under This Country Pod. You can also email us with any questions or anything you'd like to know at wtafthiscountry at hotmail.com. And also go to our webpage where we have all details as such as the tickets for our live show at wtafpodcast.com. Well done, Neil. And remember, the live show is our final live show is on May the 20, oh, bollocks, 28th, 2021. <laughs> yes, we moved it again. Uh, so hopefully then everyone will be able to sit down and link arms and hug and <sighs> oh, what a wonderful time that will be. Um, yes, so we will be uh, looking in depth at uh, the Series 3 final episode or the finale, as they say in America. <laughs> um, uh, we'll also be playing this country bingo. We'll have some special guests it's going to be a wonderful night for us all to celebrate this country because we haven't really had a chance to celebrate it since it finished um so yes so go to our website it's uh, all the information is there for our very final show uh, you can also come and support the podcast patreon.com forward slash wtaf and also you can buy us a coffee ko slash no ko dash fi.com forward slash wtaf to support the podcast <laughs> oh god dear. wow and breathe <laughs> and breathe Anna thank you so much for spending thank some time thank you very with us. much Anna thank and you. Uh, thank you very much Neil thank you very much Pav thank you very much everybody for listening and go and get plumbed you fuckers <laughs> Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year <laughs> Daft Cow this is just ridiculous what the actual fuck. Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal.